Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. It's good to see you today. Um, hey, we are starting a new series t- uh, through the book of Galatians titled Free to Live. Now, uh, if you've been around for a minute, you know here at Cornerstone, I like to move from the beginning of the Bible to the end over the course of about three to three and a half years. And we are at the beginning of year three. We First year we went through uh, the Old Testament. Last year in 2019 we went through uh, the gospel accounts and then the book of Acts. And now we are starting into the epistles and Revelation. Now you're probably wondering, you're thinking, wait a second, I know that Romans and Corinthians are before Galatians. Why aren't we starting with those? Well, thank you very much. The reason for that is that I want to use Romans and the Corinthian letters uh, for our foundational sermons. Romans itself has been called the Christian Constitution. And so I'd like to draw from that over the course of this year uh, various foundational topics, which will begin uh, in two weeks and continue probably every four to five weeks. You'll hear a sermon as you move through the book of Romans. If I'm remembering right, Romans 1 through 3 talks about the fall of man. 5 and 6 talk about the salvation of man. Uh, 6, 7, and 8 talk about sanctification. 9, 10, 11, predestination and God's plan for Israel. 13 through, uh, excuse me, 12 through the end, you're talking about Christian living and some various uh, topics like Christian liberties and th- preferences and things of that nature. How do we deal with that? You get into the Corinthian letters and you talk about church discipline and immoral behavior and giving, uh, spiritual gifts and their uses and services. And so as you hear that, you hear some very foundational sermons. And so I felt like uh, we need to continue adding to that, that foundational uh, topic uh, that we have going on in our, on our website as well as in the app um, so that if we just keep coming back to those things every few weeks and keeps us grounded like an anchor, okay? These are very doctrinal sermons. And sometimes when you take doctrinal sermons like so many in a row, it's kind of like reading the manual for your car, right? It's kind of like, it just, it gets dry at times. But it's foundational. It's very important. And so we'll sprinkle those in as we move through the other uh, epistles. So we're starting here with Galatians in a uh, series titled Free to Live. This sermon is titled Freed by the Gospel, and over the course of the next few weeks we'll be moving uh, through these. This should actually take us just about to Easter. And so uh, as we get into this uh, sermon, my opening thought has to do with social media. How many of you have social media accounts of some kind, right? Well, today, just under 70% of Americans and more than 2.6 billion users worldwide have social media accounts. And you probably recognize the most popular uh, sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, YouTube. They're all uh, popular in their own way. And while it feels like we've had social media forever, doesn't it? At times it feels like, man, we've had this forever, but in actuality it's just been a more recent phenomenon in the last 10 years or so since the rise of mobile devices. 
Um, and what started out as a way to just kind of communicate with friends, share photos, tell stories, etc., has unfortunately grown into an endless stream of advertising, okay? An endless stream of advertising. And it's not just that, that companies, like formal companies, are trying to get your attention. It's that everyone else is trying to get your attention as well. Celebrities, bloggers, professionals of, of all kinds. And, and everybody seems to be an expert in, in everything, right? And they're building their platform and trying to uh, win friends and influence others, right? Uh, and so I'm, I don't know about you, but I get kind of tired of being influenced <laughs> and everybody trying to recruit me to their following. I think this, uh, I found this little picture, I, <clears throat> I think that this uh, kind of summarizes it. I'm a woman, man, no, I'm a brand. Everybody's got a, their brand, their platform, and they're seeking retweets and attention. I thought that was kind of humorous because that's kind of what led me uh, to kind of disengage from social media in the last four or five years. I just kind of uh, find it more of a distraction than a help. I find that it distracts me from the people who are right in front of me right now, right? And so I kind of switched gears personally from having, you know, six, seven hundred acquaintances and people I barely know to kind of focusing on the, the people that are right in front of me, okay? And so while uh, you may look at it uh, differently, that's okay. Uh, maybe you, uh, you're trying to build a platform. Maybe you are trying to be an influencer. That's okay. I have no problem with that. But what I want you to, you and I to understand is that the human desire to gain a following is nothing new. It, there, will all, there has always been and will always be people who desire our attention and want to make us their followers, their disciples, if you will. That's what all of this is about. We want to influence you. We want you to come to us for advice and, and look to us uh, and, and is for attention and, and to follow what we are saying. Uh, but perhaps it goes without saying that we need to be careful who we are following. Jesus once asked the question, can one person, can one blind person lead another? I mean, won't they both fall into a ditch? And so what Jesus is getting at is not everyone is worth following, Right? Because not everyone knows where they're going. Blind people don't know where they're going all the time, right? And so as we start to study the book of Galatians, we see that these thoughts are, these are at the center of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a, a general region, and there were several churches spread all throughout this, this region. I think we would call it modern-day Turkey. Um, and so they were swayed by a false teacher whose primary desire was to gain a following. Go ahead and go to the next slide. They were trying to gain a following, trying to look good to others. And so they convinced the Christians in Galatia that there was more to the gospel than the simple faith that Paul talked to them about. Go ahead and go to the next one as well. There you go. Thank you. And so they convinced that uh, the gospel, it, the, the cross of Christ is not enough. You need to follow the law as well. And so Paul is writing to them in this book titled Galatians to correct their error and, and to exhort them to return to the simplicity of the gospel and the freedom that comes from faith in Christ. And so the two main folk, uh, questions that we want to focus on today are what messages in Christianity today pretend to be good news but actually are bad news, okay? 
The good news that these false teachers were sharing with the Galatians was actually bad news, but it was promoted and pushed out there as being, hey, this is going to help you. This is good for you. You need this. Follow us. The second thing is, how are these people or groups twisting the truth concerning Christ? These false teachers, Paul said, were deliberately twisting scriptures. And there was a few reasons for why they were doing that. And there are people today who are twisting scriptures. They're twisting the truth uh, concerning Christ. But how do we recognize them? How do we look and go, oh, that's their, teach, their teaching is false, so that we can avoid them or confront them if necessary. And so these are the questions we're going to answer today. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to get started. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is where we'll start. Uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have several that you can uh, borrow or just have if you don't have one of your own. And if you have the Cornerstone Church app, if you go in uh, to the media, you'll find today's notes there and places for you to enter your own notes as well as a Bible for you to follow along with. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's take a look at this together. Uh, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. You know, the very first thing that stuck out to me when studying this passage was this idea of appointment, right? And speaking of appointment, I I told my friend I had to make an appointment with the doctor, and he asked, which doctor? And I said, no, just just the regular kind, you know. (laughs) Well, this is not the type of appointment that Paul is talking about here. Not an appointment with a doctor, but an appointment to a specific task, right, or role. And he says, nobody else appointed me to this. Look what he says in verse uh, 1. I was appointed by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father. And he's referencing back to that time on the Damascus road when, when he was literally knocked off his horse by a blinding light as Jesus Christ appeared to him in his resurrected form and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus Christ, and he goes from there and, and he t- tells him all that he's going to do and all that he's going to suffer for taking the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. And so he's referencing this. Jesus, who raised from the, it was raised from the dead, called me and appointed me to a task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. We read about that um, in verse 16. If you want to skip up to that, he says, Uh, Before I was even born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. This is the appointment that Paul's referencing. And when I thought about this, kind of a side note came to me and I said, has God appointed me to a specific task? And more importantly, am I doing it as faithfully as Paul did his? And today, I think that's an important question for you to ask yourself. Has God appointed you to a specific task, to a role in this life, in this community, in your family? And are you following through with it in a way that pleases Him? You may not look at your role 
at your work as being uh, God-appointed. But it is. No matter how menial that job is, God has appointed that job. I remember not too long ago, it wasn't but 10 years ago, that I came back uh, from pastoring at a, at a very large church and I moved my family back and people thought I was crazy. And in the summer, between teaching jobs, I swept the floor in a lumber yard. I went back and worked where I was, where I worked during college. Talk about humbling, you know, sweeping that floor. Had God appointed me to that role for that season of my life? Absolutely. And did I do it with everything I had? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I wasn't doing it for the lumberyard. I was doing it for the Lord, right? What does Paul say in another letter? No matter what you do, work at it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not unto, for, necessarily for others. And work hard, not only when your boss is watching you, but when his eyes are not watching you, right? And by doing these things, we bring glory to God. And so I want you to know God has appointed you as a lawyer, as an electrician. He has appointed you as a nurse or as a, a, a CEO or as a, a company owner, as a grandma. God has appointed you to, as, a, 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 as a builder, as a plumber. We don't look at our roles that often and think, wow, God put me here for a reason. But he has. How many of you believe that? There is a vo- holy doctrine uh, 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 I should say a doctrine of vocation that brings a certain holiness to your work. And I want you to know that what you do is, a, is important, even if it's not like Paul where he was ministering as, as, as his career. Now look at verse 2. He talks about why he was writing. And see, he says, all the brothers and sisters here, here, that when you read that, you should say, well, where's here? Where's here? Most believe that this is a reference to Antioch in Syria, where Paul was an elder. We read about this in Acts 13 as well as in Acts 15. And he's writing uh, to them just prior to the meeting of the Jerusalem Council. If you remember back on January 5th, I uh, shared a sermon called Dealing with Disagreements. You can find it online or in the app. And we had a, I had a suitcase up here, right? I had a suitcase and we talked about what is uh, essential in our theological suitcase and which is not essential. And how the Jews thought that, that the law, circumcision, the rituals, the requirements, and that was essential. And Paul and Barnabas were absolutely uh, vehemently opposed to that, saying that no, the law served a purpose, and we'll learn about that in upcoming sermons here in Galatia, uh, Galatians, but now that time is done. It is non-essential. It is faith in Christ only that saves us. And so this is all very much related to that conflict um, with those Jews, with those false teachers from Acts 15. And they were coming into Galatia and spreading this and disrupting these people's faith. And so Paul is writing to contradict that, to say, nope, this is not true. And so as we get into verses 6 and 10, skip up there with me, verses 6 and 10, we start to see Paul's reasons for writing become clearer, okay? Let's read those together. Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way, a way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. 
You can see where my main questions come from. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. This is not an accident. This is not, oh, they're ignorant. This is they know the truth and they're twisting the truth. And I'll show you why they're doing that in a minute. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. That is the faith only. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, so let's pause here and take a look at this. We'll come back to our main questions again real quick. Our main questions are, what messages in Christianity today pretend to be good news, but actually are bad news? And how are these groups twisting scriptures, concern, uh, how are these groups twisting the truth concerning Christ? And more importantly, why? Why are they doing this? What is the intent behind it? Well, Billy Graham once said <clears throat> that the good news is that our Lord is a God of mercy, and he responds to repentance. I really like that quote. Because it reminds me that there's one prayer that God always hears, always hears, and that's the prayer of repentance. He will always hear the most sinful, proud, selfish person in this world. If they pray a prayer of genuine repentance, God, I, I don't even know how to talk to you. I'm not sure if you're even listening, but I am so tired of carrying this guilt around. Please Help me. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have treated them this way. Please forgive me. Help me. I, I don't even really know what to do. When a person breathes the first syllables of that kind of a prayer, the Holy Spirit is right there meeting them, listening to them instantly. Through the darkness that surrounds their lives, he is there. How many of you have prayed that type of prayer before? And in a moment, God's presence comes and he listens to that. He does not desire for anybody to be lost. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell. He doesn't want anybody to send themselves to hell, I think is a better way of saying it. And so he's there meeting them, working with them. He doesn't come to them and say, you know, that's a really good prayer, but you need to do this, this, and this. There's a couple rituals. There's a couple of, of things that you need to do prior. And this is exactly what these Jewish false teachers were adding. They were adding on these additional requirements. Well, yes, faith is good, but, you know, it's really not enough. What Jesus did on the cross is, is not enough. Shedding his blood, rising from the dead. That's pretty impressive, but... You need to do a few other things as well if you want to be right with God. And Paul says, this is ludicrous. This is absolutely false. And so he comes to them and he tells them that, uh, what are you doing? You're making your life so much more difficult. And he's showing several times through this letter that this good news uh, that the Jewish teachers are presenting is actually bad news. He says uh, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, will you just flip over to that? Chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. 
He says that this faith plus, this faith plus follow the law, all this stuff is actually bad news because those who depend on the law and its rituals and its requirements to make them right with God are under God's curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all, not just some, all, like every single requirement all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law because not a one is able to keep every single requirement. Certainly not just regular folk like you and I. Not, I mean, Paul, he was advancing, he says, in Judaism. He was keeping all these requirements. He, he didn't have a family. He didn't work a regular job. Guy was practically a monk. Right? He was practically a monk, totally separated from society and the community. Is that what Jesus died for? That we would go and, and live totally separate by ourselves? Absolutely not. Jesus died to redeem people and put them back in their community, and he never expected them to be perfect. He knew we would never be perfect. He was perfect for us. That's the good news. That he was perfect for us. And now we live our lives free from this curse, free from all these rituals, free from all these requirements. And Paul is saying, he says, you, after being made right with God by faith and receiving the Spirit by faith, why are you trying to be made right with God by following the rituals and requirements of the law? He says throughout this, this letter, faith sets us free to serve God to serve one another, to overcome our natural tendencies to sin. In chapter 5, he lists all those works of the flesh, and he says, listen, faith sets you free from those things. When, when you're tempted to, I'm going to look at them, look at chapter 5, look at this list with me. Chapter 5, verse 19. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, meaning those des desires, they're built right into you. You don't have to even go looking for them. They're there. You're born with them. And the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, referencing homosexuality, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, uh, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, uh, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That stuff's built right into you. And he's saying faith sets you free from that so that when you're tempted to do any one of those things, you can say, no, I don't have to do that. No, it might be a bit of a struggle, but that because by faith you have the Spirit of God living in you, He empowers you to overcome. You don't have to give in to that temptation. The Spirit of God rises up in you and instead produces, go on to verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. He starts to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what does he say? There is no law against these things. There's no law. There's nothing that prohibits this in your life. And you don't get these things by following the law. If you studied the Pharisees' lives, they were not loving. Not in the slightest. 
They did everything right and hated people. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. That's not the kind of fruit, the kind of people that God wants you and I to be. And Paul, and Paul is telling the Galatians, do you, do you want to be like that? What are you doing? You started out free and now you're adding on to yourself a whole bunch of requirements that aren't adding any value to your life. Following these rituals, being in this place at this time, doing this thing, fulfilling these dietary restrictions. Have you ever tasted a hamburger? <laughs> Brisket? It's good stuff. Why are you bringing that, taking that off the menu? You know? <laughs> Pork chops. All this, this is good stuff. What are you thinking? You know? And circumcision. You're a full-grown man. What are you doing? Talk about the worst day of your life. There's a reason why we do this when you're like seven or eight days old. We get it done, son. You know? <laughs> He's looking at them going, you are crazy. You are making, this is, this you're making a bunch of work for yourself. And you're not getting any closer to God because of it. In fact, you're pushing yourselves farther away from God. Because God is looking all that, at all that stuff and it means diddly squat to him. Wearing tassels on your clothes. Even God thinks that looks dumb. You know? <laughs> he's, he's saying, no. What are you doing? Get, stop all this stuff. It's faith in Christ alone. And so why then would these false teachers... Oh, before I go there, I want to read one verse. Look at 2.21. Chapter 2.21. This is very important. Because Paul is saying, listen, it's faith, not all that other stuff that keeps you free to live as God intended you to live. That stuff does not lead to an abundant life. And he says, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There was no need for Christ to die if, if, if the law could do it. But he came and he died because the law couldn't do what Christ could do. And so why then would these false teachers share an alternative gospel? Paul answers this question in chapter 4, verse 17, and again in, 6, 12, verse, in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. He says that these troublemakers are just trying to gain a following. Coming back to our thought of social media. These troublemakers were just trying to gain a following. They were trying to claim the Galatians as their disciples. They were jealous of Paul. They were jealous of Paul. And they were trying to claim them as their disciples. But I think more importantly, Paul says they were trying to avoid being persecuted for teaching the truth. And they wanted to make themselves look good. They wanted to look good. And so we see false teachers have at least three reasons for spreading an alternative gospel. The first is they're trying to gain a following, right? By gaining people to themselves, it somehow justifies them that they're on the right track, okay? They want to look good to others, and they want to avoid persecution. Let me give you a couple ways that uh, these groups twist the truth concerning Christ. Here's how they deliberately twist 
truth concerning Christ. And I think these are in your bulletin. Take a look at these with me. Yes, they are there. They're also on the app if you are following along. <clears throat> Groups that twist Scripture tend to extremes. They, like either a few will be saved or everyone will be saved, right? Cults tend to say only the people that, subs- that prescribe to our specific flavor of Christianity are going to be saved, right? Just a very small bit. And then on the other side, you have all these interfaith groups that, that want us to coexist as if all paths lead to the same place, right? Have you seen the bumper sticker, coexist? We all serve the same God anyways. No, we don't, right? And so they tend to extremes. Second thing, groups that twist scriptures tend to set up their own extra-biblical authority. The Mormons, they've added two extra-biblical authorities that they put right on par with, script, with scriptures, right? And Jehovah's Witness, they've made their own version of the Bible that almost all, if not all, credible scholars deem as being absolutely ridiculous, totally inaccurate interpretation of scriptures. Even scholars that are somewhat secular, that just like study the Bible for fun, which I don't know why any secular scholar would do that, but there are those out there. And they look at it as saying this is a totally inaccurate interpretation of the Greek and Hebrew text. So um, they set up their own extra biblical authority. Third thing, groups that twist scriptures will take scripture out of context or take one scripture and build their entire theology on that single scripture. A lot of the word faith teachers use verses like Mark 11 verses 23 through 24 to claim that we can literally have anything we want from God so long as we ask in faith. And if we're not healed, well, obviously you're not asking in faith, okay? And so they take that uh, uh, scripture out of context, take it a little too far, and don't consider the whole of scripture when they preach. Groups that twist scripture. This is the big one. They will, de- they will demote Jesus in some way. Every single one of them will demote Jesus in some way. The Jehovah's Witness deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, the, I've had, an, sorry, I had this open because I didn't have it in my notes. Uh, when I was preaching on the, what was I preaching? I was preaching on Jesus was more than a man. They were, I was preaching on Jesus was more than a man. I really want to pull this up. Please be patient with me. I had it open so I could quickly reference. Um, okay, here's how the, the Mormons, the Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan and that he was conceived through incest and his cross and blood are foolishness. If that doesn't sound like demoting Jesus, I don't know what is. Okay, and so uh, this... Groups that uh, twist scripture, they will demote Jesus in some way. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, yes? Yeah, absolutely. So demoting Jesus, right? That's a big deal. Um, groups that twist scripture will try to justify their selfish attitudes or sinful actions. You know, at present, the hot topic in the church at large right now, and I mean, I mean church, I mean like all the types of different churches that claim to be uh, Christian. Um, the hot topic seems to be homosexuality, right? 
And so why do these groups twist scriptures? Why are there so many Christians, uh, pastors, and congregations basically going into Galatians and, all, and other places that, that say homosexuality is a sin? consistently and habitually, unrepentively practicing homosexuality is the same as habitually, consistently, unrepentively practicing adultery or idolatry or any of these other sins that Paul lists here. He says again, uh, those who living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. They basically take that totally out and say, that's just not for today. We are more progressive we are more progressive, and we have a different type of theology. Why are they doing that? They're trying to gain or keep their following. They're trying to avoid being persecuted by the world at large. They don't want to be that guy, that church, that pastor. They don't want to be that, right? So they're trying to avoid persecution. They're trying to look good to others. Come, all are welcome. And I say here at Cornerstone, all are welcome. You know, we call to people living habitually, consistently, unrepentantly in sin. Come, come to the cross. I did. At one point in my life, I lived habitually in sin. And you did too. And I came to the cross and that slowly started to change. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between unrepentant what I, I'm blatantly and consistently doing this, regardless of what God thinks or what the Bible says. There's a difference between that and, man, I, I struggle with that temptation. Every single one of us, even though we love Christ with all of our hearts, at one point or another in our walk, feel tempted to do stuff, and we do sometimes. And we have to come back to, to the cross and say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. I think a lot of people think coming to Christ means, well, I got to live perfect. I just can't ever sin. Man, that is a farce. That is a farce. It's impossible. God doesn't call us to that. Again, what did Jesus do for us? What is really the good news? He was perfect for you. He was perfect for me. He was perfect for us. And he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we're not going to be perfect until Christ comes again and gives us that, that new body that's free of, of sin and temptation. And so now it's the blood of Jesus and it's in the, our faith in, his, in the cross that, that redeems us and sets us free and, and gives us that, that rightness with God that we can be like, even when we do make a mistake, we can come to him and he's not just kicking us out of his family every time we do something dumb, right? You wouldn't kick your son or daughter out of your family every time they do something dumb, right? You might, it's like you would have, you would, it, would, it, would take, it would take something almost catastrophic for you to even consider that, right? That total... It was almost like they'd have to remove themselves from your family, right? That's a whole nother sermon. So Paul says in verses 8 through 10 that people who deliberately twist scriptures will be cursed. Look at that again. Go back to chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be 
cursed. And so, what is a curse? A curse, I tend to think of as being opposite of a blessing. A blessing is as if God is like actively working with you to help you move forward or bringing something into your life or bringing you into a place. A curse would be just the opposite, to have God actively working against you because in this case, they are spreading lies about him and deceiving people and leading people astray. <clears throat> and unlike the, the people uh, in, in this uh, these false teachers, Paul says in verse 10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Someone once said, in trying to please all, you please none. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so Paul looked at it and just said, listen, I'm never going to please everybody. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to try to please God first and foremost. And when, how I carry out the appointment that he has given to me. And so he comes and he says, I'm not worried about pleasing people. If that were the case, I would not be Christ's servant. As if to say these false teachers are not Christ's servant because they're really worried about pleasing people. And so your application, your, the, the one question I have for you this morning, I appreciate you listening so intently. Hopefully you, you feel uh, challenged in this. Is that what are you more worried about? What are you more worried about? Winning the approval of others or of God? Are you worried about the retweets and likes and, and, and attention? Are you worried about losing that? The only way you know the answer to this question is by your willingness to stand alone when those around you are in the wrong. In chapter 2, Paul, if you read through this, uh, you'll read that Paul had to stand alone. He had to confront Peter, the, the disciple that walked on water. He had to confront Peter and probably his best friend Barnabas because they started acting hypocritically. They started giving in to these false teachers, saying that it was faith plus. They started acting different when these teachers came around. And it took courage for Paul to confront them. And it took courage for Paul to confront these uh, Galatians. He had to tell them, listen, you're acting foolishly. Your faith is, is strained. You need to come back in line. I mean, no one wants to be that guy or that girl, but one day you may need to be the person who just stands up and says, listen, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is not what scriptures say. You, this is taking scripture out of context. This is demoting Jesus. This is tending to an extreme. You know what? You're putting this on par with scripture and you know, I just, that's not good. Even if it is a good idea, that's not good. Man, you're using Scripture to justify your sinfulness. No one wants to be that guy or that girl. But someday, you may need to be. I mean, Paul was that guy. And he got pretty worked up about it. In chapter 5, 12, or 5 verse 12, he says, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. As if to say, just finish the job, man. Castrate yourselves. That's what he's saying. I think in one translation, it literally says, I wish they would just castrate themselves. While you're down there, just do the whole thing. Talk about getting worked up. Talk about coming up a little fanatical, right? And I think that sometimes you and I, we worry about being labeled fanatics, even if we're not. Looking around the congregation, not a one of us 
are fanatical in, 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 the, in the wrong sense of the word, right? But Paul, he would, I don't, if that, saying something like that is not fanatical, I really don't know what is. But you know what? Paul wasn't really even worried about it. He wasn't really worried about it because he knew what was at stake. These people's faith was at stake. And he looked at it and just said, listen, if I, I, I don't mind standing alone. I don't care what you call me. I'm not going to idly sit back and not address this. You can divorce yourself from me if, if that's what it comes to, but at least I can stand before God and, and be like, hey, I, I said, I spoke up. I spoke up. He was, remember, they're like a spiritual father. He was their pastor. And he, so he had to say the hard things, even if it, even if it meant them uh, uh, labeling him or walking away. And so, you know, you and I have, we have people around us who are being lured by all sorts of false teachers, cults even. And I just have to wonder, when are we going to speak up? Hopefully as often as we have the opportunity. But you know what? We, need, we may need to make an opportunity. That's uncomfortable. That's hard to do. But if it's somebody that we're close to and we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we may just say, hey, can I have a few minutes of your time and politely show them, show them the danger that they're in and remind them of the simple truth of the gospel. And what was that simple truth? What was that gospel? Look back to verse 4. Look back to verse 4. This is probably the most concise statement of the gospel I've ever read. Look at verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That's the good news. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God had planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world. That's the good news. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. And Paul was willing to die for it. Willing to speak up. Willing to be labeled. And so I look at that and I think, why would he be willing to do that? If you look at verses 13 through 24, we're not going to read this whole thing, but I would encourage you to look at it. Paul shares his testimony again. He shares his testimony and he basically says it was that gospel that changed my life. He said, I've used to follow the law. I used to follow the law to a T, better than anyone else. And it did nothing for me. It didn't produce love in my life. It did not give me joy. It did not give me peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, or faithfulness or self-control didn't produce a lick of that in my life. It was only faith in Christ that did. And so I've been down the road that you are going, he's saying, and don't go there. It's not worth it. It was the gospel that changed Paul's life. It was the gospel that changed my life. And it was the gospel that changed your life. How I want us to finish up today is thinking about that. Thinking about that. If you're here listening or you're listening online and, and you're not a, not a believer as of yet, you're just here, you're seeking, you're asking questions, wondering. Well, today you've heard uh, here at the end especially the simplicity of the gospel. And you've heard sprinkled throughout that good news of God's love and his willingness to forgive. And what I want to do right now to finish <clears throat> is for us to share again 
a snippet of our testimony. Paul shares his testimony. If you remember two weeks ago, on the 19th of January, I have a sermon titled Sharing Our Testimony. And I gave you from Paul's testimony a, a structure that was flexible enough to flow in conversation, but I had enough structure to give you some, to cover the essentials. Okay, basically. Listen to that if you haven't done that already. Uh, and if you look at Paul's testimony here, he follows that pattern again. It talks about what I used to be like. Here's how I came to the cross and how my life changed. And, and here's how I've been different. I want us to finish by sharing again our, a little bit about when we came to Christ and how our lives have changed. We sang this morning. I almost paused us, but I thought, nope, let's do this at the end. Great is your faithfulness. God, I'm amazed by you. And we talk about my eyes, think in my mind, I cast my mind towards the cross and think about Jesus and all that he did for me. I want us to do that right now. I want us to take... Three, three to four minutes. Stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet. This is how we're going to end. I want you to f- think about your, that cross moment. And I want you to think about how your life has changed. How has God been faithful to you? It could be something recent. It could be something m- older. I don't care either way. I want you to share it with somebody around you. I'm going to give you about two to three minutes to do that. And then I'll pray a prayer of dismissal, okay? It's short. Like, take one minute for each of you, okay? Start mingling. Find somebody. Find somebody around you, somebody you didn't sit next to. Talk to them. How has God been faithful to you? All right, so remain standing. Don't go anywhere. Stay in your groups or stay near the people. What I want to do, just to close us out, uh, sometimes those testimonies lead into prayer requests. You might have heard one. And I want you to pray with the people around you right now. Um, you've got maybe 20 seconds to say any prayer requests that might be there. Just keep them real brief, okay? You don't gotta, if there's something private, just say, I just have an unspoken prayer request. That's cool. We'll pray. So take 20 seconds and then I'm gonna pray and you'll pray and we'll go on our way today, Okay. Praise you, Lord. Father God, we just come before you today in Jesus' name. We lift up the request uh, just present in this room. Father, we just pray right now that you would hear these, these voices, hear these prayers. God, uh, just for the details, Lord God, to be worked out. Let the joy, let the, the, the peace come to those who uh, are in need right now, whether it be for a job, whether it be for a home, whether it be the salvation of a loved one. Lord, you know the prayer request. We pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just begin to intervene. Lord, and let them know that. Let them know that you hear them and and prove yourself faithful one more time, God. One more time. Your faithfulness is great and your mercy is new every morning, God. And so we know we don't deserve that, but we are so thankful for your mercy, for your love, and for you being interested in our lives and and not requiring us to be perfect or stay perfect uh, in order to receive help from you. So uh, just pour out your blessings upon this people and upon this congregation and go with us now, God, with peace and, and just give us eyes to see this world around us just as you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. I'm around. If anybody wants me to pray with them, I'll be glad to do so.
We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.